Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I am your host, Mike Grimm, and I'm here with my friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. We're also here with a very special guest, uh, uh, writer extraordinaire, covers the Raptors, Mr. Blake Murphy. Woo! What's up, Blake? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we also have intern Erica here. You know who is not here? is our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. He really wanted to be Let's here. Let's pour a little liquor for Shane. We'll pour a little liquor out. He was gonna. We were going to do this in the morning. We're recording this on a Friday evening. Uh, and he couldn't be here. He had to go home and take care of his kid, Lucy. Yeah, he was mad at me, though, because uh, he he thought I wasn't sad enough that he wasn't <laughs> on this podcast. Max, you put out the bat signal on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Why don't you set it up for the people? We got uh, Blake Murphy, uh, Toronto's finest basketball writer. I'm going to give you that distinction. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Of The Athletic, everybody. And uh, truth be told, we hung out with Blake last night for about <laughs> five hours. And I don't know if we have any questions left, to be honest. I know. Because it just ended up us just sitting in a booth at the Drake Hotel. Just peppering him with questions. Yeah. Did you feel like, um, was it exhausting for you? No. No? No. I mean, it, like, that's the thing is, it's just talking basketball still. Uh-huh. So. But I can imagine there's some uh, sports reporters out there. Like, we know Dave Hodge, for instance, or Stephen Brunt. And they're... They've been around longer. They're pretty recognizable. And and I think they get a little annoyed when they get, like, lease fans coming up to them, like, wanting to talk shop. So I was wondering, I was like, are we that guy for Blake last night? No, I think the, the level of distinction between them is that, like, we were all hanging out, like, as friends. It wasn't yeah. like I wasn't at the Drake and you guys didn't come up and start asking <laughs> me a bunch of questions out of nowhere unprompted. Sure. We were all hanging out and, like, I'm bothering you with music questions. Sure, sure. It's Yeah, it was a little quid pro quo. Yeah, awesome. It was a fun hang. So for our listeners, uh, you know, it, we're recording this on a Friday evening. Tomorrow, the Raptors open uh, round two against Philadelphia 76ers at home. So we wanted to have Blake on not only to talk about the Raptors, which we'll do at the end because I feel like he goes on every podcast and sets up the series. Mm-hmm. We're sort of more interested in sort of uh, Blake's journey, you know, uh, how he became a professional writer and someone that covers the Raptors in the NBA. Because personally, I'm just I'm a fan. I've been reading Blake for like a decade or whatever it's been. Yeah, Mike gets pretty giddy when he gets a text from you. He'll be like, I was talking to Blake Murphy no big deal <laughs> well like, sometimes too because I follow we follow each other on Instagram and like something will happen or he'll post something and then I'll like respond to the Insta or whatever but I don't want to like abuse it and be like what's going on here why is Nick Nurse making these choices because I'm like he's probably getting a thousand of those from his friends and then you know other readers but uh but we're pals so yeah you know. okay so where do we want to start first of all so Blake I've been reading you since Raptors Republic I think that's sort of like where I found you did you start Raptors Republic um kind of so uh, Sam and Zarar, who are the other two guys that kind of own a share of it with me, they they each had their own Raptor site back when ESPN was trying to launch the True Hoop Network, where the idea was, it was kind of SB Nation before SB Nation. It was like, let's have a blog for every team, and then we'll all link to each other, and there will be like a little toolbar where you can just jump from team blog to team blog. Um, so they, they grabbed Sam and Zarar to start the Raptors one, and then Sam and Zarar had read my stuff when I just had like, blakemurphy.com or whatever my site was called at the time um, and I was just doing it for fun and they were like hey come do this with us Um, so I wasn't like I didn't start it but I was like the first person they added Um, and I think that was like it was DeMar's draft year the first thing I ever wrote for Raptors Republic was like a DeMar summer league like how did he look at summer league oh man and and you rewind a bit uh, before that blakemurphy.com how old were you when you were writing for your own site um I started so third year of undergrad, so Where'd that would have been like I went to Queens. Okay, cool. Um, I got a business degree there, oh. and like two thousand, so it would have been two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, it, it was March Madness. I was like, oh, I'll just like write up a March Madness thing, and it'll be jokey, and like everyone's reading Bill Simmons at the time. It's like maybe I could do like a fourth rate <laughs> version of Bill Simmons, um, and it was like like people seemed to enjoy it. And I was like, and I enjoyed doing it. So for the next like I don't know the next year or so, I kind of just did it for fun on the side, and then Raptors Republic kind of came in and it was like oh i actually like have a home for this that'll do more than like my my friends looking at it yeah well it's interesting because it's like i i feel like in some ways as i've watched like sort of your ascension from like you guys doing this raptors republic thing which is like a fan blog that doesn't have access to the actual team you're sort of writing from the same point of view as anybody that's watching the games and then you sort of build that and then you get access and it sort of grows your career i like i had this fantasy back in like the mid-2000s that i was going to start like a blog called like the new rap city or something Me too. you had the same thing yeah because like i love basketball i'll write about it after every game and then of course you never do it so you actually did it and i kind of watched and it's like you actually followed this trajectory where it's like shit like he did it it works like now he's literally like a legitimate guy that has these relationships with the players and the team and this is your 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 career yeah it's um you know obviously it took some time and i probably stalled it 
more than I needed to by like once I got my degree, I went and I was working an office job and I was writing, you know, maybe two times a week just for fun until I decided, hey, I'm going to actually try this. So maybe I could have sped that up more. But even then, like I went back to I went to UBC to get a master's of journalism. Um, to, and, and basically my idea was this is I don't care about the school part. I can now justify writing like 40 hours a week. Um, so I got tons of reps in then and I was doing baseball and hockey at the time as well and doing a lot of like analytics stuff um, and was like covering Sloan conferences, those MIT Sloan course, yeah. conferences and stuff. Um, so all basically I took a year that was like, oh, all I'm going to worry about is building my byline and building my rep and like making connections and stuff. And then it sort of, sort of started to to pick up speed. And then I did I did two years at the score um, yeah. while I had Raptors Republic on the side. And then, like, all of that kind of, like, slowly built the momentum of, like, oh, now I can get a foot in the door because the Raptors know who I am. And then you kind of slowly, each successive step after that. Um, I probably could have done it a little quicker if I hadn't worked an office job for a little while. Got to get paid, though, man. Got to get paid. I had to I had to have, like, the – I had to pay off a little bit of student debt so that I could mm. comfortably go back to school and not <laughs> be, like, just drowning and – Working yeah. every odd job under the sun. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. You you uh, reference Simmons um, as sort of a, a model because uh, because I, I love Bill Simmons and I've been probably reading him and following him probably for ten years now. And I think for a lot of people of our age, seeing the way he did it, where he's like, you know, he wasn't necessarily part of an institution at first, uh, but he just was very excited to write. Like that was very aspirational. It's also he's an anomaly in a lot of ways. Like there's only really one Bill Simmons. Um, yeah. I mean, there's other bloggers that have become very successful. Um, but was that a, was it hard for you to write regularly in college? Cause I, I feel like if I've wrote one blog post, I go, Oh God, that was exhausting. <laughs> I don't know if I ever want to do that again. You remember, do you remember? So we were, we were, you guys had recorded the album. Maybe it was high noon yeah. or morning report. I don't know which one it was, but we were driving back across America. Yeah. It's me, you, Nick from the band, my brother. Uh-huh. And we stopped in Kansas and we decided to go see Andrew Wiggins and Joel Embiid play. They're playing. I have for a byline too, my friend. Nice. So the way we got in, basically, do we buy tickets? No, basically we uh, bought tickets yeah. and then Max made a few calls and somehow swung it so that he would write like a, a column like for Sportsnet from the sidelines so then this fucking guy ends up sitting courtside and me, Nick and Greg are in the nosebleeds at this Jayhawks game. it was a real coup uh, yeah I, I just texted Stephen Brunt who I've known for a long time I was like yo Stephen I want to go to this game I'll write for Sportsnet is anybody are they, are they sending anybody to that game but it was like the first regular season game against like Southern Alabama State or something like some no name school that Kansas was just going to crush so they weren't sending anybody I was like I'll I'll be the guy. So it exists on the internet. I don't know if it's any good. You can find Max's article about that that time. But I do remember it being very hard. And I was like, oh, God, this is this is a lot of work, you know. And I was just very insecure about it all. I mean, going to the game was sick. but Blake, when you hear these stories about Max, like, you know, taking away a spot for, for a sports writer, you're like, <laughs> you scabby hack. Yeah. Is that how you feel? I'd have to read the piece first. Yeah. Oh. To, if, it was, if it was good and refreshing, I'd be like, awesome. It's, get a new perspective in there. Let's mix it up. Yeah, um, but right, yeah, yeah you let you, me know. If you went in there and wrote, you know, I, I won't name names. If you wrote the exact same thing Reporter X would have written, uh-huh. you know, then maybe. Actually, I saw somebody tweet the other day about like the Time 100 influential people uh, list that just came out, and it's celebrities writing about other celebrities. And a journalist was like, "This is taking away work from us." Like, I, you know, these aren't like because to be honest, like Sean Mendes' thing on Taylor Swift <laughs> wasn't great a journalism. Like, and I like Sean Mendes a lot, but read it for yourself and you can decide. Well, this is I feel like writers you, you see a lot of sports writers get snarky about the Players Tribune because they feel like they're all being ghostwritten, but none like but obviously being credited to the athlete. Explain what the Players Tribune is. So the Players Tribune is like a, it's like a website started by I think Derek Jeter and some other athletes and it's like a first person sort of perspective so if I'm DeMar DeRozan and I want to write a piece I would write it myself and put it on the Players Tribune he hasn't written one but like Kevin Love did one for instance but I feel like sports writers on Twitter get kind of like uh, snarky with little jokes about how they're clearly ghost written where do you fall on that spectrum well they're they're definitely ghost written but it's more of a like we would sit down with a mic on and we'd have a long conversation about the topic uh, and then I would write I would ghost write it up have you done then, that I have not. Okay. Um, I have some friends in the industry who have. Um, basically, yeah, you sit down, you have the conversation, you write the thing from the player's perspective, then you send it to them. They kind of, you know, oh, I didn't mean this, or like, hey, what if we tell it this way? Um, I don't mind it that much. I think I think it has, you know, the, I don't buy the it's taking away reps from journalists because no journalist would get that level of access with the player. Right. Um, and I think it's important for fans to get, like, even if it's not, 
quote unquote written by the player. That's a player told story and it's a player directed story in their voice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I feel yeah. like that is, I mean, in their voice, all, all of them sound like they're the exact same talking. <laughs> yeah. Except for like the Darius Miles one was, was like, yeah, that was cool. cool. Yeah. That yeah. That one, it was like, maybe Darius Miles wrote this one. Cause it's, it's not the, uh, the very same like structure and, mm-hmm. and voice and stuff. But no, I think it's, I think it's it like very much has a place and it's something that, you know the idea that it's taking something away from journalists. No journalist would be able to do that if Players Tribune didn't exist. So yeah, um, you're at the Athletic now. I am, and um, I remember when the Athletic came about. I was like, oh, this is kind of an interesting idea. Um, the yeah, and the idea is a subscription service. So yeah. it's, it's, it's every article is behind the paywall, right? Yeah. Um, occasionally they will open one up. Okay. It's like drugs. They give you a taste for free, and then they keep you coming back. But the, the cool thing was when it came out, I was like, I was. Um, hopeful about it but i was also a little bit like is this gonna last because nobody wants to pay for anything but the, you the athletic came out staunchly as no this is gonna be good journalism and you're gonna pay for it and it seems like it's growing and doing really well like can you give us an, an idea of like how the business is going and just where that philosophy came from yeah so you know the fact that it's in i think every hockey basketball baseball and football market now yeah um you know obviously they've tried to scale it very quickly so i think if you were looking at their bottom line it is not there yet but they have you know they've done enough um enough investment that they have a bit of runway here to experiment but you you're they're already starting to see like i don't know if i am supposed to say this or not or but like toronto is self-sustaining like toronto Mm, based based on the subscriptions and based on the staff and stuff toronto as an independent silo could like sustain now which reminds me i lost my credit card and then I canceled it. Are you going to ask him for a free subscription? No, I just <laughs> no, I just got an email from the Athletic today saying your credit card didn't work to, oh, to pay no. for it because I am a subscriber. But that's because I lost it in Portland. I got, I'll I'll re up that. I signed it. up immediately because I knew they had Blake and mm-hmm. Eric Kareen, who I also like writing, who's also your podcast buddy on the Reasonableist. Mm-hmm. Reasonableist, yes. sorry. So and that's also a podcast on the Athletic. Go listen to it. Subscribe. Uh, and then I found out like a month later, my brother was like, "Oh yeah, I got it too, but I got it like four ninety nine. He got some deal that I didn't get. Mm. And then I was like, "Damn it!" <laughs> so. If anyone money's going to a good place though. If oh, anyone is listening and ever goes to subscribe, first of all, um, do it off of one of my articles so then I get credit for driving. Oh, the there you go. Uh, okay. But also, if you ever like, so anytime you do it, it'll like they'll just like flash a random discount at you. Uh, usually, when you go to sign up, if it's not as at least forty percent, DM me and I'll be able to find a forty percent code somewhere. There's, nice. there's always forty percent codes kicking around. And if you got the money, just pay full price. Yeah, and That's also it. you know sign up to Crave and watch Mike on Much in Conversation with interviews <laughs> with Sting, Shaggy. Uh, lots I, of I was others. trying to push Crave on people today. All the Philadelphia writers descended upon Toronto today, and they're all worried about not being able to watch Game of Thrones on, on Sunday. Sunday. Ah. So I'm like, here's what you do: subscribe to Crave, and then cancel. Check out the Mike on Much podcast, <laughs> and then and then watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, and you and so and if people do want to DM you about that forty percent off, you're at Blake Murphy on Twitter. O- Blake Murphy ODC. What is ODC? So the very first <laughs> blog site I ever created was I originally I was only going to write about baseball and it was the on deck circle mm. and it like very quickly I was just like this is I'll just make it blakemurphy.com it's way easier um, but for a little bit that was my site and then when I went to sign up for Twitter Blake Murphy was taken oh, I was like, yeah. I'll throw ODC at the back of it uh, and you have a- yeah, you know me. <laughs> Good jumping in with the uh, the tunes uh, you have over twenty two thousand followers on Twitter. I guess so. Yeah. Were you conscious and sort of like building that in the sense that you're like, I think this is good for, you know, future work or to show people that, or was it just this natural sort of thing that happened organically because you had the, the, the info on the, yeah, it was mostly natural. Um, early on, I tried to use it to like, not like not networking in the like kind of douchey, like I'm hanging out at a conference trying to get everyone's business card way. (laughs) But like, you know, when I was a low follower person interacting with other writers who I liked um, and, you know, trying to build relationships that way. So, like, um, when I was thinking about going to the score, you know, I had developed a Twitter relationship with, like, Drew Fairservice. And I could be like, hey, Drew or Andrew Stoughton and be like, hey, you know, what's it like there? Do you think this is a good move or whatever? Um, I developed a relationship with Jonah Carey that way. And then I, en- I ended up helping him out on his Expos book. Um, I got to do a bunch of transcriptions for him and it counted as internship hours for me. Because wow. uh, I went I went to them. My program was not specifically sports journalism. I was like, hey, there aren't a lot of sports journalism internships. Like, what if I help this guy write his, like, do his book and just transcribe all the interviews? So, um, but yeah, that came about just like trying to use Twitter to like build relationships and stuff like that. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I feel like that's yeah. like a, a common theme in... Uh, journalism is you have to be crafty there has to be a sense of like entrepreneurship 
uh, to be able to like make the relationships, um, to see who can help you out, you know, and, and do it in a very um, sort of like thoughtful, mature way, you know, because you don't want to be that annoying person. This is a fine line. Yeah, it has line. to be somewhat organic, yeah. right? It has to be, you know, I'm watching a Blue Jays game and I'm interacting with this person. I'm not just tweeting at them to be like, hey, what can you do for to me? To try and get opportunities. Yeah, I mean, People and part of that. it is like it's it, – Twitter is also during a game and during big events. It's pretty fun. So you can just – it just kind of happens naturally. Um, but in terms of not spamming people or not using it as callously, um, I had for a really long time – had a rule where I would only tweet my stories at once. I didn't want to be that guy that was like, hey, in case you missed it, here's my story and read my story and read my story. Um, Twitter's not super good for driving traffic to the web anyway. Right. Um, but yeah, that was that was one of the ways I was like, don't be don't be an ass about mm-hmm. over promoting <laughs> with Twitter or whatever. And now I like now it's just autopilot. I don't I don't really think about Twitter usage. It's just dumb jokes and here are my articles. Yeah. <laughs> just the dumbest jokes <laughs> during rap. I like your jokes. Blowouts, yeah. Well, you had a, a, a popular tweet, but we won't talk about it because I don't. Can we talk about your mom going to listen to this podcast? My, there's no way my mom's listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he had he had a, he had a hilarious tweet that uh, the Raptors were playing the Magic and the Magic were down very big. And his tweet, I believe, said, uh, "I haven't seen the Magic die this fast since my parents' divorce." <laughs> Something like paraphrasing that. Paraphrasing yeah. it. Uh, and, uh, which was, <laughs> Eric liked that That's one. Good. So it's like, I don't know, like 3,000 like, likes and all this stuff. It like, blew up, but I saw it in pretty like real time, which was hilarious. Uh, and then I asked you about it, and you were saying that your mom does follow you on Twitter, and you were glad she didn't see it because it kind of got buried. Yeah, my mom will like do a like once every week or two weeks sweep of my Twitter, just like, hey, what's what's Blake up to? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I ever, you know, I will be open sometimes, but like mental health stuff or like dating or whatever. And <laughs> those ones always get noticed where it's like, hey, Hey, are you are you okay or you well, know, that, that's she, kinda... she missed that one though thank thank <laughs> yeah maybe she'll circle back one of the things that i find interesting about you is how uh you do tend to be sort of like vulnerable more so than like a sports writer and eric kareen has a bit of that and i know that you guys like i said do the podcast together um is that like a conscious effort to be like i like you know you did a whole piece like uh, comparing like you used uh, saving saves the day or who was it taking by sunday Take by sunday as like a metaphor for sports and you sort of you know you're very sort of open about your love for emo and, and those sort of things is that like uh were you like i'm gonna do this because it's just me and i'm sort of like i want to be the most sort of vulnerable i can to people or are you like this is actually a good angle and I'm, no one else is doing it no it's not the angle thing it's just i hit a certain point there was like a long stretch where i was very guarded about all that stuff and then i don't know i, th- I just think that like authenticity is like the best approach to whatever you're doing and it was you know those those tweets or those stories turn some people off but also you know that helps build relationships with readers or or like friends that i make on online or whatever so i don't know i've just always kind of felt that like being as authentic as possible yeah letting people in is a great way to make a connection right because i think people eventually would just want to root for you because they feel like they know you and they know your story and what you're about and i feel like a lot of sports right like i love when tony kornheiser or bill simmons like talks about their family because i'm like oh this is like this is an old pal at this point these people and, and that's what you are for a lot of toronto rappers like an old pal and, and and it's not just like reporting on the x's and o's even like zach lowe's a little bit more mechanical and that's what what he that's part of the service that he provides as a uh, basketball journalist but knowing that his wife is from toronto and knowing that they go to croatia every summer and Knowing that his dad was a great swimming coach in Connecticut or whatever, like those details, I'm like, I want to I want to root for Zach Lowe more because I know those details. So yeah. I think it's a good strategy. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and and it applies to obviously more than just writing. It's just I think you know we're like not to not to get too like big picture or whatever, but like we live in like fairly nihilistic times right now where like there's a lot of bullshit and a lot of like cynicism and stuff, and it's. You know, I feel like authenticity is is pretty important, and mm-hmm. it's like it can be refreshing. There, look, there are times where I put stuff out there, and afterward, I'm like, shit, I wish I <laughs> wish I hadn't have talked about that. I wish uh, I wish I hadn't have ended an article with it with a joke about how single I am or whatever. <laughs> but you know, sometimes you have to you have to break things. Also, like a basketball season is really long, and I write a lot of basketball content, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's just nice to like break it up and. Yeah. Just make it a little different. So, so okay, on that point, because I think Mike and I both have <laughs> fantasies of being like a beat reporter. Like when you've had that fantasy, oh, absolutely, for, like, probably like once a week. And like, yeah. and I, we grew up watching a lot of sports, and and sports personalities and journalists are like still heroes to to me. So, can you walk us through what a day covering the Raptors looks like, or like a week, say? Because I know not every day is different, but like just like walk us through your day. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um. So like tomorrow, tomorrow's game one. 
the Raptors have canceled shoot around for tomorrow, which is nice because I can have a couple beers at the Blue Jays game now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but had they had shoot around in the morning, I'd show up Scotia Bank like quarter to ten maybe. Um, you talk to like Nick Nurse will get brought out for a scrum and usually one or two players. Then you go and like transcribe, and then you know tomorrow's a Saturday afternoon, so I wouldn't be writing. Like, there's just not enough time between that session and the game for anyone to read it. Um, so then I just do whatever, like go eat lunch or, and then come back. Usually I get to the game, to the arena fairly early for games and like get a picture of the t-shirts and like watch the like third team guys work out and like kind of shoot the, sorry, I realized I sweared earlier. Yeah, can I swear? Okay. Yeah. Uh, like shoot the <laughs> shit with some of the coaches or staff or whatever. Um, and then about two hours before the game, media time starts and like you get each coach, locker room opens up for half an hour. Um, so like. An hour 45 before the game, the both coaches will speak back-to-back. And then an hour 15 before the game, the locker room opens up for half an hour. I try, now that it's playoffs, I try not to loiter in the locker room too much unless I really need something, just because like everyone's more hyper-focused. Um, but in the regular season... It would be like go in, like see what's going on, you know, catch up with Fred Van Vliet or, you know, talk to Jordan Lloyd about the 905 game the day before or whatever. Um, you know, if it's a January game against Charlotte, they don't mind nearly as much if you're in their space. But, you know, you try to be aware that that's their workspace. Yeah. Um, then the game happens. And throughout the game, I, I kind of take notes and I'm trying to think of like, what am I going to write after the game? Um, game ends, quick media time. Like you talk to the coach, locker room opens after the game sometimes the players are gone sometimes like Kawhi does this thing where he if he I mean it might be like his schedule anyway but sometimes if he maybe doesn't want to talk to the media he'll just like go upstairs and work out it's like oh. you, you just played 40 minutes and you're gonna get a lift in yeah uh, okay. and then you know then it's like daring everyone you want to wait this out you you want to wait out my yeah. my leg day <laughs> just just oh, to get a meaningless quote so he just won't be in the locker room and yeah. you just get everybody else yeah right? um so yeah, and then I would then everyone kind of splits up the transcription. I would write um, because it's the playoffs right now. Uh, so Saturday, I will write at the arena like something about the game, and then when I get home, I'll write another thing that'll go up the morning after. That's kind of more stats and video y. Um, but I have to wait for like the game to go up on League Pass and the advanced stats to update and things like that. So that's more of a like get home and like write that until two or three, or sometimes like don't write it then. Get up at like seven in the morning and write it. Um, and then the day after that, it's like, you know, get that up. And then uh, practice is usually around 11 on a non-game day. So go to OVO Athletic Center there from like 11 to 2. And it's the same kind of thing. It's like a coach comes out, you get one or two players, you transcribe, you figure out what your idea is, you write, and then you do that whole, it's kind of a two-day cycle that just repeats like that. Okay, so here's a question. You were talking last night about how, you have a pretty good relationship with all your reporter colleagues, you know, yeah. the, the people who work for the Globe and the Toronto Star, and everybody. Everybody spends so much time together that there's just generally like a good vibe and a good relationship. Do you guys talk to each other and be like, "Hey, I need like let me talk to so and so first because this is a particular like is there conversations or is everybody just like once the docker locker room doors open, everybody's like go because no. there's like camaraderie, but it's also still competitive. Yeah, yeah. So it, it gets a little awkward sometimes where like one on one time with a guy is so valuable, mm -hmm. but after a game, there's not like it's not like a, a receiving line of like Kyle Lowry will come down and talk to me one on one, and then you one on one, and then you one on one. Um, so usually, whoever the the two or three biggest stories from the game are, they'll just do a scrum, and like you can try the whole walk away with them but in tight quarters after a game you're probably not getting it so um you know if kyle lowry drops 30 and Kawhi drops 40 you know you you know that kyle and Kawhi are going to scrum and everyone's going to get the same quotes mm -hmm. um but then there are situations where like oh maybe i'm working on an angle on danny green that day and no one is talking to danny green or there's a scrum over here and i'm going to talk to danny green over here then you you talk a little bit like um there was an example today two two different reporters um, needed to talk to Kyle Lowry and they I overheard them talking before they're like what are your questions like like if we overlap we may as well do this at the same time mm. just share the answers um, because otherwise Kyle Lowry has to do two interviews and he gets it's almost like the bachelor it's like can I steal him for a second <laughs> yeah, a second? yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. that's basically it. it there is a lot of that and like media relations obviously controls some of that mm -hmm. I can't just like you know I'm I'm never going to just grab Kawhi and be like hey Kawhi you have a second yeah it's Kawhi if I want to do that with Patrick McCaw it's it's a little different. different. So, do you find the organizations sort of like, uh, do they sort of shield Kawhi in some ways? Like, is he treated differently? Like, say you did break off Rogan, like, hey Kawhi, can I have a second? Would that be weird? Like, would someone say, hey, don't do that? No, I mean, they they trust me at this point that 
if I'm doing something like that, it's for a good reason and I'll be, you know, respectful of his time or whatever. Um, with Kawhi, it was kind of just established early that like Kawhi is how Kawhi is. And just people don't just, they don't really shoot their shot with that with Kawhi. Like it's more common that they would try it with Kyle or in years past, like DeMar was usually pretty generous with his time. Um, so yeah, you, I mean, you could try it and it's within the rules of what you're allowed to do, but it's just kind of like everyone's like, it's Kawhi. He's not. Yeah. And, uh, you, you, you talked about, um, having a, like a really good relationship with Fred Van Fleet. Mm-hmm. So to walk us through, and, and that, that's a, a well-known thing I think in the sports world is that certain reporters can develop relationships with certain athletes and they'll have more access. So like. How did it work with you and Fred? Like, how did you guys connect? Um, so, actually, I was the only reporter out, really. Um, or, I guess, anyways, the Summer League that they signed him as an undrafted free agent. He was out with them at Summer League. I'm usually one of the only reporters. You go to Vegas for Summer League? I do. Sick. Yeah. I've heard it's amazing. It's so much fun. It's we should so do that much this basketball. Year. We should totally do that. People... July 5th to 15th. Oh, that sounds like a blast. That'd be real nice. Yeah, it was Simmons and Rosillo were talking about it. It's just like the best time. Or it was Zach Lowe, maybe. But yeah. yeah. It's, Re- um, really yeah it's great. You get like, there are eight basketball games over the course of the day in two like connected gyms. It's That's amazing. It's insanity. Um, So I was one of the only reporters there and I was doing a story on him. I was very high on him coming out of college anyway. And when he went undrafted, he was like, I put out a list of like, hey, here are five guys the Raptors should, you know, maybe kick the tires on. And he was one of them. Um, so I was trying to talk to him and trying to write a story. And he just like, he kind of let slip that he had signed. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, that's news. Yeah. Um, but you mean you didn't come up to him and be like, look at my website. I wrote about you. <laughs> no. Um, look, look. <laughs> just waving your phone. No, I never face. do. I never. I try. I've never send players stuff that i have written on them or like like some reporters will tag um, yeah tag athletes in articles they wrote i don't think there's any harm in that like if you get a retweet on that that's good for your story and stuff i don't i'm just not comfortable do you have uh, doing it? players numbers like so that you can just some ask for of them. a quote some of them yeah I, I try not to use it for a quote i'll try to if i use it it'll be like hey i need to talk to you about this thing like can i grab you after practice or something you like never that. do like you up yeah. <laughs> look, I've I have occasionally look when the Demar trade went down, I maybe felt out what some people were feeling about it. It was because you were like crying and emotional and drunk at two in the morning, and then also celebrating <laughs> because it was Kawhi. Okay, man, I know that was wild. But you were messaging other players to see, like, get the vibe for their like a temperature check. Yeah, like not nothing. I was gonna run with. I just like. You know, immediately everyone has these takes out there, right? Like, Kyle's so mad, or like the team thinks this, and it's just like, hey, is, you know, you just, you just want to feel, because like it, that happens in mid July where I'm not going to see any of those guys for two months either, right? So, um, but yeah, I try, I try to be very respectful of the space and like <laughs> that players would probably like to keep me at arm's length. Sure. Um, but yeah, with Fred, with, so with Van Vliet, um, that happened at Summer League, and then I was like, he was like, I don't know if I was supposed to say that. And so I, I was like, cool about it. I wasn't like, no, no, you said it. I'm, I'm putting it out there. Even though it was on the record? Yeah. You let it. Um, and yeah. eventually I did break, like I was the one who put out there that he signed, but I was like, I wasn't going to burn him. And I think that starts to develop a little trust. And then his rookie year, I'm also one of the only guys who ever goes to 905 games. So then I'm a familiar face and I'm talking to him regularly. Um, it was the same with Siakam or Norman Powell or Bruno, whoever. Like the 905 guys, I'm the only one who's there and then sees them at Raptors games. Um, so at one point Fred said to me, like when Fred was like on the come up last year, he joked to me, he's like, man, I miss when you were the only one who wanted to talk to me because suddenly he's such a good quote that he, everyone wants to talk to him every day. Um, so that's basically it. Like I was in on the ground floor with some of those guys and like, I don't have that relationship with Kyle or Kawhi or, you know, new acquisitions or whatever. It's something, you know, you kind of build by being around a lot. Yeah. I think a lot of people's like success in this business, uh, often has to do with like who they happen to meet at but the also, right time and place. But also being there. You no, know? but being there. You know, that's the thing, like doing the 905, going to Vegas and all that stuff. It's like you're putting yourself in these positions. Of and course. Of the course. Pascal-Siakam relationship could pay. He might be a superstar. To, you the might way be writing trending. the Pascal book in 10 yeah. years. Yeah, I mean, like I did the a thing. The wind horse to Pascal. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, yeah. like wind horse. Like, obviously, that guy works really hard and I think is an amazing journalist. He also happened to be from Akron, Ohio. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and he was like a young, keen guy and was like, I'm going to follow around this high school guy. And that ended up being like, LeBron James. So this this is actually going to be your in is Shea Gilgis Alexander being a Hamilton. That's kid. right. He went yeah. to my high school. 
Really? I went to Sir Alan McNabb, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you would mentioned uh, uh, Kyle for a second and like just going up to him and asking him a question. I thought it was interesting. For listeners, there's a very funny uh, thing out right now. Uh, it's called Game of Zones. I watched that a lot. I morning. saw it too. Mm-hmm. so funny. So funny. And mm-hmm. it's all about the DeMar and Kyle trade, which Blake was just alluding to. Uh, but nobody at the scrum today, or I guess it was more of a presser. He was sitting at the podium. Asked about the the game of zones. What's up? Uh, I w- I did not ask about it because I would imagine he wasn't happy with his portrayal in it, and where he is so kind of like hot and cold with the media, it just didn't feel like the right day to like, especially because like it was these are the first media availabilities before a series. Like these are pretty big media availabilities in terms of there's a lot of media there and everyone everyone needs that stuff. You. It's just it doesn't feel like the right time to jump in with like a jokey question where the answer could go the wrong way and kind of sour the whole the Ruin whole session. The press yeah. conference. Oh sure, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Someone did ask Yak a purdle though. Did you see that clip? No, I didn't. Yeah, one of the San Antonio guys asked Yak. He was doing a, a presser, and they go, "Have you seen uh, Game of Zones?" And he goes, "Ha, no comment." <laughs> and then he goes, "Yeah, yeah, I saw it." Yeah. And they go, "What'd you think?" He goes, "It was pretty funny." Yeah, he yeah. was clearly motivated last night. He had a great, he had a great yeah. game apparently. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of that subject matter, I think so much of the intrigue with NBA is just the, the personalities and, and the culture uh, around the game itself. And uh, and there's, I love NBA gossip. Like I go on the Reddit page and the NBA Reddit page all the time. And I, and there's there's an industry built around that. So my question for you is, you I'm sure know so much more than you're able to talk, <laughs> write about, and talk to about. Yeah. And so and, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's true. And like you know, because you know, but like a bit about the personal lives of the players and the coaches, and I'm sure you know about you know squabbles and disagreements that happen be, you know behind the scenes. I guess the question is, um, how do you decide what is uh, appropriate to, to write about and what is just pure tabloid trash that you don't want to go near? You know, like, yeah. You know, what, what's the code? I guess uh, it's it's different for everyone. There are some people who, if they overhear something, you know, they think that's that you know free reign. For me, it's you have to balance um, your relationship with the team and your relationship with the players. And you know, I intend to be around for a while. Um, you know, so you kind of. You have a certain amount of capital you can use, and you have to kind of judge, you know, is this tiny little thing that isn't all that relevant, like, is that worth it? Um, now, anything that could impact the actual play on the court, my bar tends to be a little lower for that because I feel like it's more newsworthy than if it's more related to actual basketball What's games. What's an example of that? Um, I don't know, like, like say two players blew up at each other in the locker room okay. and the team is trying to be like, you know, don't oh, we it. don't want that out there. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, if those two guys play 20 minutes a game together and they're having miscommunications on the court and it's blowing over, you know, that's something that is relevant to the team and relevant to their performance. Now, if it's something like, you know, player X went out with player Y's X, you know, then, then it's like, okay, well, that has no, that's too gossipy or whatever. That mm-hmm. example has never happened before. One example that I I won't <laughs> use the players' names. Um, I overheard one player giving another player the worst dating advice I've ever heard <laughs> one time. Um, what was the advice? Basically, it was uh, when you fly someone out, make sure you get a return <laughs> ticket so they know when they have to go home. Oh. That's good advice. That's not bad advice. I feel like it's, it's, uh, it's kind of shallow advice. Yeah. And then also it missed the step where like, like, why are you flying someone in if you don't actually like them and want to spend time with them? I like, think we know, Blake. But I mean, <laughs> I, look, look at the city you live in. What do you mean? Yeah, you know, just just the, the like, amount of uh, options uh, that are available. Yeah, like ta- sure. like if it's uh, absolutely fly someone in if you're if you like them and you're smitten by them and you're excited to spend time oh, with them. But, but if it's just like a transactional thing like that, why why even bother with that? Why there, There's plenty everywhere is what you're saying here in Toronto. Yes, I'm trying not to no, I get be a saying. jerk about it. Yeah. I just See, this is why we no, need we've Shane. All been to Shane would just be very we blunt with, uh, with this stuff. Yeah. yeah, he'd have a lot of opinions. Um, <laughs> anyway, so it's basically just like finding that trade-off and, and weighing, you know, how much basketball relevance does it have? How much news relevance does it have? And then how much capital of mine does it kind of use up if I go with it? So so um, I was listening to Michael Lewis, who's one of my favorite writers on Bill Simmons podcast. And he talked about how he was pretty close to writing a book uh, by spending a season with Popovich, uh, like a full season, like basically on the bench with with his staff and just like observing how he does his job. And I thought that was a 
great idea for a book. Uh, Jack McCallum did that with the uh, Seven Seconds or Less Phoenix that Suns. Yeah. That's a great yeah. book too. And and like maybe the best one is Breaks of the Game. The, yeah, the, the Will, Bill Walton That's Blazers. Halberstam, yeah. right? Yeah, that's David Halberstam. So my question for you is: Do you have any like long term bigger pictures that you bigger long term uh, ideas that you that you'd like to chase after? Yeah, I have some kicking around. Uh, honestly, I'm not well established enough yet to like really think about those things in earnest because you you probably have to take a year off of whatever your actual mm-hmm. job is. So like I am not well established financially or like with a certain institute like with a a certain outlet where like that'll be realistic sure, for the sure. next little bit. Um but yeah, I've thought about it, especially like the season the Raptors are having. Yeah. And next year's the twenty fifth anniversary and it's gonna be right around when Vince retires and maybe comes back into the fold with the organization. Like next the next twelve months could be really interesting for the Raptors and there will probably be probably be books written about it if, you know, all goes they well. Go all the way, yeah. Um now the the um the publishers would probably go to like a Doug Smith type or a Michael sure. Branch type that have been around the beat all the time. Um, but yeah, those ideas float around in my head. Sure. Um, you know, the extra two percent that Jonah Carey wrote about of course, yeah. Tampa Bay Rays is like one of my favorite books, and I feel like you know he didn't take a year off to just follow that team, but going really, really deep on a team or a situation, um, especially when there are cross industry takeaways from the story there. Um, I think that would be really interesting. You know, I hope there's someone out there who's doing a book about the Rockets right now and how they've just like. You know, the Warriors exist, so our only way to do this is to go with this extreme, extreme strategy. Um, you know, I think there's a cool book there, and it would have applications across, like outside of just basketball. So, um, I'm always fascinated because obviously you, you got into this job because you love sports. You were a Raptors fan before you, this was your full-time job. Um, and I'm always interested, and you hear this all the time, where, you know, I mean, Simmons obviously has made sort of a career by being like, oh, I'm still a Celtics homer, even though I write about basketball or whatever. But then someone like Zach Lowe has said, I'd no longer root for a team, but when I was a kid, I rooted for them. Was it hard for you to relinquish your fandom, one? Two, have you even relinquished it? Three, do you find yourself rooting for the Raptors from press row? Um, not from press row, but uh, up until this season, when I was freelancing full-time, uh, there was also, like, there was this uh, relationship between one, wanting the Raptors to do well because I was a Raptor fan. Two, I mean, you maybe don't root for them, but like you're around these people all the time. And for the most part, you hope that nice things happen to them and that yeah. they do well. Um, but also my income was tied to how well the Raptors did. <laughs> Longer season. So like the Raptors getting bounced uh, unceremoniously in the second round was not great for me. I, <laughs> I had been like, well, maybe this is a conference finals run and maybe that means this much income. It's like, well, now now I'm out a couple weeks of playoff income. So there was also like that weird thing where it's like, oh, you know, I want them to do well because also I'll get more money. Yeah, sure. totally. Uh, that's, you know, now I'm on salary at the Athletic, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but no, I don't think, obviously I've relinquished some parts of fandom. You have to relinquish the like unabashed homerism. You can't cheer in the press box. Um, the first playoff game I ever covered was in the Nets series, and Amir had like a big steal and dunk, and I like I remember like fist pumping, and then a couple people like looked at me. I'm like, oh yeah, this is where I am. Wow, yeah, I do that, yeah. <laughs> um, so you you have to give up things like that. I, I joke with William Liu, who um, is a friend of mine and is at Yahoo Sports now and is a great Raptors writer. I joke with him all the time that he hasn't let go of any of that, and like half his Twitter feed during games is yelling about the refs. how angry he is. That's why I enjoy reading him so much yeah. because he's, I mean, uh, Arsenalist who, who yeah, is still at Raps. Yeah. I used to enjoy his articles back in the day because he was just so pissed off all the time, which mm-hmm. really reflected how I felt after like a bad loss to Sacramento and I'd stayed up to watch the West Coast game. Yeah. Like I want to read him because he is like channeling my anger right now. I find that Will Lou tends to do that on the Twitter timeline, which yeah. I find entertaining. Yeah, and I think there are places for all of those. And Will's, I mean, Will's is backed up by that he's also one of the most intelligent and best basketball writers in the city um the ref stuff kills me but yeah yeah well, it's I, I, give just... him a hard, I give him a hard time about it all the time um but no so so i think there is room to still have that um for me where a lot of what i do tends to be like more hard analysis and i've i've started to try to get more into like magazine style features when i'm gonna story up um you know it takes a little bit away from it because like i'm analyzing everything so intently all the time that like I don't know. You can't break a play down and then be like, wow, that play was amazing. Yeah. Like, this is so cool. I don't know. So you lose certain elements of it, but like, you still want these people to do well. And I still like all of my followers and readers are Raptors fans. So I want them to be happy and like enjoy good Raptor seasons too. So there's still like plenty of reasons to hope the Raptors do well. So uh, speaking of uh, breaking down the game really intently, 
uh, I saw some of your work on the NBA Reddit page because a, a photo was taken of your notebook. Oh yeah, uh, this, this. and and it looks like uh, like text from an ancient time. Uh, <laughs> like it looks like uh, I don't know. How would you describe it, Mike? And we're gonna yeah, put it on a, on. Uh, it's like on when doctors Instagram write prescriptions. It's not really legible. It's kind of got a, like it's their symbols. I like, was accused of being the Zodiac killer. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So uh, I know this is a, a not a visual uh, platform here, but can you describe what you're doing there? <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Basically, what I do is, uh, one, I keep track of the rotations, so who's in and out and what lineups are playing together. Um, all of this stuff is available online afterward, but I feel like if I do it in real time, it helps me kind of crystallize potential story ideas. And then also, the biggest thing, the biggest reason I still do it, even though like I could do it on my computer and I don't need to do it in this much detail, it keeps me from being off Twitter except during timeouts in the game, mm. and it keeps me from like talking to Eric beside me or... You know, whoever is beside me, if I'm writing something down for each play, then I'm focused on each play, and it kind of keeps me from doing whatever. Um, but the actual, all the stuff that people are laughing at is just, it's all just shorthand. So it's like, you know, KL, P slash R, KY with a little arrow, and then PS with a triangle three is Kyle Lowry and Kawhi Leonard run a pick and roll, it gets kicked to the corner, Pascal Siakam hits a three. Uh, Duh. So, <laughs> right. It's, it, it seems Clearly, convoluted, yeah. but like I can fit everything that happened on a play into like, you know, a quarter of a line of text. And then, you know, and then what I'll do is like if a play is like, if something really jumps out, I'll circle it or highlight it. And then I know when I go back and I'm cutting video later, oh, this is where that play is. And that's why I wanted it. Um, yeah. yeah. I work in it's, a restaurant and I know what you mean, writing little codes that help you remember stuff quicker yeah. and write it down quicker. A little um, shorthand. Yeah. So on the topic of story ideas, um, I am a journalism student as awesome. well. Where? Ryerson. And um, I did some sports reporting for a school paper, and I actually covered a little bit of hoops and game day stories. So when you go into a game day story, well, when you go into a uh, game day, do you know what your story is going to look like when you post at 10 p.m.? Do you, I mean, you obviously know the, sort of big stories of the day and the general theme theme yeah, yeah, yeah themes totally. going in and whatnot but like I was thinking about like this last series where the last four games of the series were pretty mundane maybe so how like one game five rolled around what was your mindset going in and so, did you know like how were you going to make it different from the last yeah so sometimes I'll go in with ideas like there are occasions like like when the night that Chris Boucher was being presented with his MVP and defense yeah. player of the year, I'm like, oh, this game has the potential to be a blowout. He's getting his two awards. A Chris Boucher story tonight, if he gets to play, would make a ton of sense. So you can kind of see, or like Jeremy Lin's debut. Obviously, you're going to write about Jeremy Lin. Insanity. Um, yeah, things like that. Yeah. That that has not gone as no. well as I thought it would go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. a little depressing. <laughs> Poor Jeremy. Yikes. Um, but no, so sometimes you have things like that. And then, so like game five, I kind of figured that's how the game might go. And I'm like, oh, I can't write the same the same kind of angle. Mm -hmm. So my idea for that one was actually, had the Leaf game been close, they would have turned the Leaf game on in Scotiabank Arena after the Raptors game end, ended. And everyone could have sat there and watched it. When the Raptors game ended, they were down 4-1. But a story idea I had then was like, well, what if I just sit here? I'll skip media stuff because it was a Raptors blowout. And I'll sit here with the crowd and watch the end of the Leaf game. And if the Leafs win, it could be this really cool story about both the teams kind of breaking through that same barrier that they've had the last few years. And like the kind of unity between the, the city's fan bases, right? As Vlad's getting called up and everything. Mm -hmm. And then the Leafs blew it for me. Um, <laughs> they ruined your story. So, no, in the playoffs, I probably tend to have story ideas less just because like every little thing matters so much and people won't want to read anything except about that game. So like, I can't really go in and be like, Oh, I'm going to write about Pascal tonight. And if Pascal has 12 points, it is not important in the game. Like people aren't going to yeah. want to read that. So do you ever pre-write a little bit going in or no? Um, not for game stuff. Yeah. Uh, I tend to like, I won't, even if it's a blowout, I won't start writing until the fourth quarter just mm -hmm. cause like there's too much risk of a comeback or like the story yeah. changing or whatever. Yeah. Um, I pre-write a lot for the off season. Um, yeah. So, like, I will probably, when July 1st rolls around, I will have not, not like, stories written about, like, oh, Kawhi's staying or Kawhi's leaving because you, you need the context. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll have, like, shells of posts ready and, like, my cap updates, like, different scenarios yeah. ready to go and stuff like that. Yeah. When, I, when I was at Raptors Republic and I ran it because I was basically a one-man team and I wanted to be up fast for everything, um, I, I pre-wrote all the time for a free agency 
Because um, wow. it's just like, you know that either Bismack Biombo is going to resign or he's going to sign somewhere else. So you can get like... You'd write multiple outcome stories though, yes. wouldn't you? I remember that, which is a lot of damn work. Yeah, but it also like then when things happen, everything is so much easier. Oh, then you can, yeah. It's ready to go, you just hit send. Mm-hmm. Right. Basically. Yeah, you yeah. fill in the details and then you want to leave a little room to like... You're the how sort of you, guy how that you would react do, to it in the moment. You, I feel like you're the sort of person that did your homework when you got home on Friday instead of leaving <laughs> it till Sunday just to enjoy the weekend. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I've always like in all things been very efficient. So I was like very like I'll just get it done like in free period or whatever. Um, and then I would also in high school like do my friends' homework so they could come Holy, hang out. Where too. were you when I was I know, in high school? It was, it was all, like <laughs> looking, 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 like looking back on it now, it's awful. But it was like ah, if I just do it, then we can all like. Go, go! I I didn't drink in high school, but like we can all go hang out and play yeah, sports or dick, whatever, dick around or whatever. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I had a, I was friends with this guy in high school. I won't name him, but I I was like a pretty like decent artist when I was a kid. Like I would draw sketches and stuff like that. And this guy would pay me ten dollars a sketch, and I would give him the sketches, and he would bring them home, and he would give them to his grandma and say that he drew them. Oh wow! So his grandma thought he was this like. Why did he want to impress his grandma so bad? That's weird. Well, because he loves her, Max. Oh, okay, that's enough. that's probably the most understandable part of the story. It's yeah. more the lying, which was weird to me. Yeah, I thought he, he was going to hand it in for his like own assignment at school. Oh right, that's where yeah. I thought it was going. Yeah. Um, so where you're at in your career uh, professionally, what is the hardest part of your job, or the thing that gives you most anxiety, or like the hurdle? that you have to you know jump every day that that we wouldn't necessarily think about i mean the big thing is that the industry is not super healthy and like we're all i'm very much rooting for the athletic to succeed as a business model more for i mean obviously for me and so i have a job but also because if it doesn't then you know we've kind of tried so many things in the sports journalism industry and like sports illustrated got bought the other day by like um like a brand company, like a company that owns brands. They're not in publishing or journalism mm. at all. And it's like, man, if that's where you go and like suddenly everything is just going to be like advertorial basically. Yeah. Um, okay. So, but aside from the, like the state of the industry, like what's a, th- a thing like, oh man, only if I could get closer to Maasai or only if I could uh, like, like, w- like, you know, those like, those stresses when it comes to like the actual work yeah. itself. I would love to get closer to Lord Ujiri. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Lord Ujiri. <laughs> Game yeah. of Zones. Um, because I know, because I, because I ask that question because I think about like um, our own struggles with the band. We're like, oh, if we could just get on this tour, if that radio station would play us, it would really make our lives that much easier. That's a great better. way to put it. So what's the equivalent of that for you? Yeah. So it's always, I mean, you're always kind of thinking about what's next and what you could be doing more of. So the one thing for me is, I tend to – I'll break like some stories, like smaller stuff, but because relationships are so important for me, especially when I want to tell good stories uh, and you need that level of trust and stuff, I don't tend to – I tend not to push very hard on like, hey, is this signing happening or like what's going on with this? And like, I f- like if you look at other people who are roughly as established as me – that's usually the next step. Like I don't. I'm not talking be, be Woj, Woj or Sean. Woj bomb, Murph bomb. Yeah. So the, if you if you want to be those guys, that's literally all you can do, though. Yeah. Like you can't you can't be telling stories or doing no analysis or whatever. No, and all, yeah. it's basically just you like hammering agents and, and putting stuff out there. But that's probably the thing that's like, ah, could I be doing more of that? Should I? The, our conversation earlier. Should I cash in a little bit more of that capital to to have scoops or inside stuff a little bit more often? Finding that line is, and the line's always moving. That's kind of tough, especially like as I grow and it's like, okay, well, the next step, you know, I, I'll probably stay on the Raptors beat. I want to stay on the Raptors beat, but like there are scenarios where I would go to a different company or a different um, media market and it's like, oh, there might be even more of an expectation of that kind of stuff. So it's like when you see like a guy like like Royce Young, who's uh, mm-hmm. for our listeners is like the uh, he was sort of a had a, he had a blog about the OKC Thunder. He's based in Oklahoma and then he eventually gets hired to write for ESPN because he was sort of the guy in the ground there. He's now like a full time ESPN writer. Is that like a path where you go, shit, I would love to write for ESPN like I, if I could be the Toronto guy for that? Yeah, I mean, like that's that's something that they don't have a person in every city. Yeah, um, but you know that, that yeah hey, that, that kind stays of, that's yeah, an example that though. kind of thing crosses your mind yeah I, I think the fact that Kawhi came here and they didn't this year you know that's maybe not in their plans um but i'm also like also not rooted here like i don't have a i don't have a wife or kids or anything like that so yeah, it doesn't, it very clear it doesn't have to be toronto <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah you yeah. made that clear in every goddamn article you, yeah you, so yeah. ladies if you're listening yeah, yeah. um I, I wanted to get over to Raptors for a bit, but um, did you have another question about no, process? Let's, uh, yeah, no, let's, let's get into the, the Raps. Well, just sort of like some more specific stuff. Who is the most difficult Raptor you've ever covered? <laughs> you don't have to name names if you don't want. No, know. name the names. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
like it's probably Kyle just because he can be so good and there are days when he's so bad like for media wise um I really like him and get along with him fine but I like I've gotten to the point where like I don't even really bother that much um just because like it's not worth anybody's time. Exactly. And I feel like that was less of a big deal when DeMar was there because DeMar was so great with the media. And now that Kawhi's the number two, it's just like the two best players on the team you're usually not going to get anything out of. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, that's unfortunate. From yeah. a media perspective yeah. and from a fan perspective because we obviously want those quotes. Yeah. And, and, know what they're and like, look, I don't blame those guys and it's not a knock on them or anything. But in terms of like in an ideal world, yeah, your best players would also be really good quotes. And Well, you know, I was actually thinking about the Warriors today and just like I was thinking about Clay and he is such a good interview. And, and, he, <laughs> and he's so like I find him to be very like grounded and have he's a great like self-awareness about who he is and where he is like how he's a part of this world. And I feel like a lot of the Warriors are like I th- Steph's so well-spoken. Iguodala is really smart. Even Durant can be really good. Um, w- what are the teams uh, that you are envious? They're like, oh, it would be so much fun to cover this team. I mean, I imagine the Warriors might be one of them. But are there any other teams in the league where you are envious or you're like, oh, I do not envy those guys because that's a tough gig? Yeah, OKC is a tough one. Yeah. Their PR staff is obviously with the Russ stuff lately. They've come kind of back under fire. But when KD was there as well, that was not a not a super great Yeah, Brian market. Curtis wrote a whole piece about that, right, for yeah. Grandland, just being like, how under wraps everything is. They protect the players yeah. so yeah. much, and it's this Which, weird like, environment. That's, I mean, that's part of the job, so I don't... Yeah, they would argue they're doing their job well, the organization, yeah. you know. Um, there are, I think, I think the one team that it would be cool, not necessarily for on-court stuff, uh, you look at the guys on the Brooklyn Nets roster, they're all awesome to talk to. Uh, like, Jared Dudley is great. Ed yeah. Davis is great. Damari Carroll's great. Um, even some of their young guys are, like, pretty good, thoughtful young guys. So I think... I think the Nets would probably be the one where it's like, yeah, I, I could spend some time around that team and, and tell some cool stories. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess the big question everybody wants to know is uh, what's the word around the team? Is Kawhi Leonard going to stay? <laughs> give um, us give us the exclusive here, Blake. you got to be on record as what you think. Yeah, we're breaking it thinks. here, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I think a lot of it kind of – like I've, I've said kind of the whole time, like everything hinges on these next four to six weeks. Um, I thought when they got him – I think the odds are, are maybe better now than I did than I thought when they acquired him. Um, and the Raptors are very confident that they have done the best they can with anything within their control. So they have treated Kawhi well. He has been a part of the load management process, and he has earned like they've earned his trust with that kind of thing. On court, it has worked very well. He enjoys the city, you know, doing the whole garage to garage thing so he doesn't have to deal with the cold. So they've checked off all the boxes they could. Now, what it's going to come down to is one, does he think he can win championships here? And that obviously will be determined over the next four to six weeks. And two, the kind of family and home factors that the Raptors could never control. Like, if he ultimately decides to go to LA, because that's where the mother of his children and his two children want to live and he wants to be close to family and stuff like that. There was never anything the Raptors could have done to change that. In the first place, yeah. So the Raptors are very confident they've done what they can. And then, you know, if they get bounced in five by Philly, there's no way he's staying because you can't make a good competitive argument for, oh, Kyle, Serge, and Mark will be a year older and we have no cap space. Yeah. And But if you make a run to the finals or you're very competitive in the Eastern Conference finals, you're like, hey, look at Pascal. Look at what he's become. Look at all the cap space we have in 2020. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, the architect's here now. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, And you know what's amazing is that this is all based on, like, hypothetically, a couple lucky rolls here and there. I know. Which is crazy. Like, the fate of the next five years of our franchise could be like, oh, does somebody like clink off the back uh, back rim or does it go in? But that's you happened know? so many, it's, it's honestly happened so many times in this run. Like you think back to the Indiana series, that would have been, they were, that series was 2-2. They were down in game five, down pretty big in game five. And it looked like this was going to be the third year in a row that they flamed out in the first round. And then Norman Powell has that epic dunk they go on this huge run because Frank Vogel won't put his stars back in the game yeah. for whatever reason. And then suddenly the Raptors are in control of the series. Then they make the Eastern Conference Finals. If they lose that series, Casey's gone. They probably... Trade DeMar then. Yeah. yeah. Or someone, blow it up Someone somehow, is getting though. traded. Yeah. Because Messiah's had like his finger around the eject button... Well, that's what that Zach Lowe was saying while. on a podcast like last week. He was like, Masai's been waiting to do a rebuild for like yeah. six years. But and the Raptors keep on... Like, he's never going to get to do it. Because <laughs> even now you look like... If Kawhi walks, well, Pascal's become this level. And, like, 
maybe you can trade Lowry and Gasol and Ibaka, but you're trying to trade $100 million in aging salary without taking bad money back yourself. Like, you might accidentally win 45 games next year, or at least, like, you know, are you going to be worse than, like, Detroit and Orlando? Probably not. You went, like, 17-5 and without Kawhi. Yeah. 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 Well, speaking of Masai, um, Mike and I have this idea of Masai as being this, like, genius saint you know wise you know like just just like the perfect executive and his track record you know would confirm that i love Masai. yeah i I, my opinion is this i think that someone like Masai or good leadership is actually more important than any player so to that point what what is your take on Masai, and what do you think gives him that secret sauce i like asking this question like from your vantage point what is it about Masai that commands respect or attention or how is he as a tactician yeah there is this um there's this power of personality about Masai, right and i think it comes from one him being pretty good at the job um but also he is an incredibly charismatic leader and i think when he gets in a room with someone and he's talking to him and his energy comes out um and he's very you know he's very forceful in the way he speaks and he's very confident and and so i think i think that tends to do a sales job but then also you see everything that he is outside of basketball with Giants of Africa and how much he, you know, cares for his players and has tried to improve the lives of his players. And, and like, I think all of that kind of coalesces into that that bit of that charisma that he has where it's like, okay, this guy is a good leader and he's a positive, you know, he's a positive leader as well. Um, now, in terms of the actual tactics and things like that, um, he has won most trades that he's done, he's drafted pretty well here and in Denver. Is he a good executive in the way he hires people? Would you say? Yeah, they're Bobby Webster and yeah, Paris Teresa Resch, Dan, yeah. Dan Tolzman. Um, he, you know, that's another Masai has been one of the leaders in the NBA in all sports in terms of um, having women in positions of power in the organization too. So I think all of those things help. Um, the one area that Masai has not done a great job is free agency. Um, he has signed some bad contracts. There aren't a ton of deals he signed that afterward you were like, oh, that's a huge, that's a huge bargain. And then also they've had to like trade away picks to unload salary to keep this all going, which, which is fine. Those things happen, but he's not like he's not flawless when it comes to the actual moves yeah. he makes. So, um, but I think yeah, I think like he's a top five executive in the league. And to your point about you'd rather have him aside than any player, I don't know that I'd go that far. Um, Here's why though. But oh, bad ownership and bad management is the constant when you look at teams like the Knicks, Lakers, Suns that are like for the last little while have been perpetually at the bottom. It's it's a lack of a stable quality figure like a Masai or Sam Presti or Greg Popovich. Yeah, I agree. And and I guess like obviously LeBron changes everything or, you know, a Kawhi or Kevin Durant. But it basically comes from the idea that this, you can be a great leader or executive for 40 years. Mm-hmm. That's 40 years of sustained excellence if they want to stay in the position. A player's window of greatness, true greatness, is maybe a half decade. Do you know what I mean? So I'm just Right, like, but in, within those windows, a player has such an enormous impact. Impact like, on potentially winning a championship. Right, like... Yep. I, although those things are kind of inextricable, right? Because, like, if you say Kawhi is more valuable than Masai and Kawhi leads him to a championship this year, obviously, you know, Kawhi did that, but Masai Ujiri allowed you to get Kawhi. Exactly. So... You could there there ends totally. up being like almost a chicken or the egg kind of thing there, but I think you know the enormity of superstars in the NBA and their impact on the court is just you would you know you'd trade Masai for LeBron two three years ago yeah now yeah. we're talking but I mean you know I've seen LeBron on a bad Cavs team with bad leadership before he went to Miami and you know what I mean you just see you see stars wasted all the time without good leadership and then in the sort of lean years or if you don't have a superstar good leadership and management can actually you know sustain you and yeah, fan base. I, I think that's the biggest thing it helps with is sustaining. You look yeah. at the Raptors, they're six years into this now. Even if Kawhi walks, they're set up to continue to be pretty good. Like they'll have a transition year, then they have Siakam and OG and Fred and a ton of cap space. Yeah. Um you look at the Spurs who haven't missed the playoffs in twenty two years and keep nailing all these late first picks like Derek White, mm-hmm. um turning Jakob Pertle into, you know, what he's become now. Not that he was bad in Toronto. Um that stability helps your helps how much you can sustain success over like you know especially transitioning between eras that obviously Cleveland hasn't done well Miami hasn't done well the Lakers have not done well that's been a mess we talked about magic on our last episode yeah we did well Maxie should we wrap it up do you have any more questions for for Blake Murphy Raptors writer extraordinaire well the last thing I'll just say uh is that I I got a call from our accountant uh yesterday uh and I was like oh 
fuck? Like, why is he calling me? He never calls me, right? And I was like, oh. and then and then I missed the call. And then he called again. I was like, oh god, like I must owe a lot of money to somebody. Like something has gone <laughs> wrong. Uh, and then I call him like, hey, uh, what's up? <laughs> He's like, do you want to go to the Raptors game on Saturday? I was like, yeah. <laughs> That's you know Greg and I will be there. Uh, well, I'll be there too. That's sweet. Let's party. And Blake, will you be there? I'll be there, man. Hell yeah! And oh, Erica, yeah. you cannot come. Oh, I won't unless be there you, unless you get a hookup. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. Yeah, cool. yeah. Um, Blake, thanks so much for coming yeah, on. Do they always treat you like this? Yes, listen back. They don't. <laughs> nah, it's, it's part <laughs> yes, of a, it's, it's a radio. It's an old time radio shtick. You make fun of the intern. This is oh not new. Oh my god, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's such a good time. Yeah. It's hilarious. <laughs> she loves it. Um, all right, thanks so much for coming on, man. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> <laughs>